Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you here this morning. Um, as we get started today, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of a series called The Art of Getting Along. And this series is so timely because it is at this time of year more than any other that we spend a lot of time with family and friends and we are reminded of how very different people are and how very annoying some people can be, am I right? And we thought this is such a great opportunity for all of us just to take a step back and learn from each other. Learn from that annoying family member that you insist that you are not related to. Um, and we realize that if we can just kind of take a step back and take some time to understand each other, we can allow those differences to make us stronger families, stronger churches, and stronger communities. And I want to remind you of the focal passage that Derek shared with us last week. Let me read it to you as we start. Romans chapter 12 says, Live in harmony with one another. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that is the spirit in which we are going to approach this series. This is an as far as it depends on you series which means making harmony work depends on each one of us. And throughout this series, we are going to teach you how to make harmony work, okay? Ready? Well, um, on Labor Day of last year, a man named Kevin Kennard, he went hiking at a place called Crater of Diamonds State Park. And this park is really unique because this is a place where people go to find something called surface diamonds. Now, most diamonds that you see are, are formed deep within the ground. But here at um, Crater of Diamonds Park, they've got tons of diamonds that have already been plowed up and they are just sitting on the surface waiting to be discovered. Well, on his hike, Kevin Kennard found something interesting. It was a piece of dark, dirty glass about the size of a marble. And he didn't think much of it, but he thought, you know what, it looks really interesting. So I just picked it up and I... And I put it in my bag, I just thought it looked like a piece of glass. Well, it wasn't until he got to the Diamond Discovery Center when Kevin Kennard learned that what he thought was a piece of dirty glass was really a nine-carat black diamond worth about $34,000. That is a good day, right? He hit the jackpot, he hit the jackpot. Well, this is really interesting, Crosswinds, because there are over 124,000 people who visit this park each year looking for surface diamonds, and the soil is full of them. But only a handful of people actually find something that is worth anything, and the reason is most diamonds don't look like diamonds. Most rough diamonds are mistaken as work worthless pebbles. They don't look like anything of value. They just look like dirty glass. And so hundreds of thousands of people every year are trampling on hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uncut diamonds, and they don't even know it. Well, one of the pieces of advice that the surface diamond hunters will give you is they will tell you, never hunt on a cloudy day. Only hunt on a day after it has rained, and only if it is sunny. And the reason being that that rain will kind of wash some of that dirt off of those diamonds. And the minute the sun hits that glass, your eye will pick it up. Your eye will pick up that sparkle. And no matter how small that diamond is, you will find it, especially if it's sitting on some dark soil. And you will automatically recognize it as something of value. 
Did you know that we're actually hardwired to be attracted to shiny things? We are. It's a, there is a piece of our innate nature that is drawn to anything shiny or sparkly. And actually, scientific studies have been, been done to try and understand why are we drawn to shiny and sparkly things? Well, some of these studies suggest that our preference for shiny things is actually linked to our need for water. It's so interesting. They believe that every person's preference for shininess, it has deep evolutionary roots, that we are drawn to things that sustain us. And because water is shiny and it's something that sustains us, we are drawn to other things that are shiny. We are naturally attracted to them. And that is why we are drawn to things like diamonds and glitter and chrome. I'm telling you right now, it's okay but it's also why we miss the diamond in the rough when it's right in front of us because we don't see it as something of value. Now, here's the thing. Missing the diamond in the rough doesn't matter much when it comes to rocks, soil, diamond hunting, although it would be nice to find one, right? But it's not going to mess up your life if you don't. But where it can mess up your life is when the diamond in the rough that you miss out on is a person, when you have a diamond of a person in your midst, but you devalue them in some way because they are not shiny and sparkly. You see, just like we're drawn to shiny things, we're also drawn to shiny people, sparkly people. We love people who are funny, who are engaging. We love people who are strong, charismatic leaders. And wouldn't you agree that our culture has a very weird fascination with celebrities? Don't we? We love shiny people. But the truth is, you guys, is that there are diamonds in the rough all around us. And they aren't shiny and polished. They are on the forefront of every conversation saying, hey, look at me, I'm talking right now. They aren't sparkly and loud, but they are quiet, they are understated, and they are reserved. And because they are diamonds in the rough and they are not the cut five-carat diamond, they often go very, very undervalued in our lives. And so what you need to know this morning is that there is a person, probably more than one, who is ready to bring things to your life, so many good things to your life. They are ready to bless you in ways that you cannot imagine, um, and you might be writing them off simply because they aren't shiny. They're not loud. And if you are not aware of the things that I am about to tell you this morning about these people in your life, you might miss out on some of the most valuable people in your midst. And so um, I said earlier that throughout this series, we're going to help you understand and get along with the people around you who are very different from you. And the way that we're going to do that is we are going to introduce you to four different personality types. And what we've done is we've gone through the Bible and we have looked at what personality types are there in the Bible. And we have found four personality types and four Bible characters who match those personality types. And that is what we're going to be looking at as we go through this series. And you'll find it interesting, too, because the personality types that we find in the Bible, um, we also find those personality types described in modern psychology. And so some of these personality types we're going to talk about, you might have heard about before, okay? And so I want to introduce you to the type that we are looking at today, and then I'll tell you about the person 
that reflects this, okay? The personality type that we are looking at today is someone who is called a phlegmatic. Now, that is an absolutely terrible, horrible name that I will explain in just a second. But just for a minute, let me paint a picture for you of what a phlegmatic person looks like, okay? Phlegmatics are calm. They are calm. They are the first person to jump in and help when you need help. They are usually very patient people. Um, they crave peace, which means they don't like conflict. They are really good moderators. Um, they're great listeners. When you have a problem, this is the person that you go to because you know they're going to listen. Um, they usually strive to fit in, which makes them very balanced. And did I mention that these people absolutely hate conflict? They are peace seekers. So now I want you to stop and just take a minute. Look at this picture of a phlegmatic. Do you know anyone like this? I want you to turn to the person you came with or someone around you and name the person in your life who is a phlegmatic. Go, right now. Who do you know that looks like this? Okay, good. All right. If you're sitting there and you're like, I cannot think of anyone, let me give you some examples of some very popular phlegmatics, okay? Here we go. Mr. Rogers, you guys, Mr. Rogers, okay? Jimmy Carter, Gandhi, Jesus, and me. I am a phlegmatic, you guys. Sidebar on this, I take offense to this name. I totally do. Hippocrates gave this name to this group of people because he said they reminded him of phlegm. Now, phlegm is goopy and slow, and he thought that, um, that these people were really slow themselves because they seemed apathetic. And someone who doesn't rock the boat, someone who is very calm and balanced, can sometimes seem slow and like they don't care. And so he named them the phlegmatics. Don't like it at all. The Aztecs called this type of person an earth person because they are so balanced and grounded, which is true. But several other personality classifications call this group the green group, okay? I really like that. So from here on out, I'm going to call this group the green group, okay? And also phlegm is green. So there you go. There's your connection. All right. Well, there are plenty of greens in the Bible, including Jesus, but I want to introduce you to one of my favorites. And the guy I want to introduce you today is a guy named Barnabas. So let me tell you a little bit about Barnabas. Once upon a time, there was a guy named Joseph. And Joseph was a Jewish man who absolutely, he fell in love with the Christian community. He loved the people. He loved how they served one another. He loved the message of Jesus. And he was so sold on everything that the Christian community stood for that he sold everything he had and he gave his money to Jesus' followers so that they could continue their ministry. Now think about this. Here is an outsider, a Jewish man who believes in the Christian message so much that he sells all and he gives all to keep the ministry going. And when Jesus' followers found out about this guy, about what Joseph was doing, they actually adopted him into the community and they changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas. Look at what Acts 4 says. It says, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, something incredibly significant is happening here. Because the Christian community loves him so much that they decide he is so valuable to them that they adopt him and they change his name. They change his name from Joseph to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Everyone say son of encouragement. encouragement. And this is significant. It's so significant. Because your name was an indicator of your character. Your name was your title. And first and foremost, Barnabas was known as an encourager. He was a hope giver. He was the one who brought comfort and peace and confidence when people were feeling low. And there are a ton of passages in the Bible that talk about him being an encourager. Look at, here's just a couple of them. Look at how many times it says this. Barnabas encouraged the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas encouraged the new believers in Antioch. Barnabas encouraged Paul, who was probably the greatest missionary of all time, went with him to Antioch and accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. And Barnabas was the guy who was so full of confidence-building hope that the apostles actually changed his name to reflect that. Son of encouragement. And so I want to put that up on our profile that we're building today of the green group, okay? The greens are all the things that we just talked about. But first and foremost, what you need to know is that the green group, they are, we are encouragers, okay? And Barnabas was the most infamous in a good way, the most infamous of them all, okay? Well, um, after Barnabas had been in his community for several years, he gained a reputation. You see, Everyone knew that if you were about to go do something hard, you needed to take Barnabas with you. And um, as the Apostle Paul was, was thinking about setting out on his first missionary journey, he must have thought to himself, you know what? This is going to be really hard. I am about to take the message of Jesus beyond its current boundaries out into the rest of the world. And there is no doubt this is going to be the absolute hardest thing I have ever done. I think I need to take Barnabas with me. Because having Barnabas by your side is like having a cheerleader on your shoulder at all times. You can do this. Don't get tired. You've got this. You've got this. And so Barnabas did go with Paul. And these two guys traveled and they ministered together for over a year. Their names are listed in the book of Acts together 13 times. 13 times. But there is something really interesting that you need to know. 90% of the time that their names are listed, Paul's name comes first. Now, who cares, right? Why does that matter? It matters because you always put the leader's name first, don't you? You put the person who is most vocal, the shiny and polished and outgoing first because that is what people are attracted to, right? That's what gets the attention of a crowd. And so Paul, the shiny object, the great missionary and preacher, his name is always listed first, and the diamond in the rough comes second because he always plays the support role. He's not the shiny object that people are looking at, but you know what? He is there to make sure that Paul stays shiny, to make sure that Paul stays encouraged and hopeful and energized. 
And so often the follower, never the leader, Barnabas plays the support role, always the supporter, okay? So I want to put that up too. I want to put that up on our picture of the green group, that the green people, greens, are very much supporters. I've been thinking over the past few weeks about what it would look like if Barnabas were on our leadership team. Our leadership team is made up of all of our pastors, and we talk about ministry things and the direction of the church. We meet every so often, and we talk through um, matters of the church. But I often think about what it would be like if Barnabas were on our team. What would be going through his head at a leadership team meeting? Like if Chris opened up the meeting and he said, today I want to talk about why we should have tacos for lunch, right? Daniel, our high school pastor, might say, you know what, veggie, I think we should have veggie tacos for lunch. And as Barnabas listens to that, he would be thinking, I really appreciate Daniel. He is so concerned about animal cruelty that he's opting for veggie tacos. I really like that. Well, then Andrea, one of our teaching pastors, might pipe up and say, you know, I think we should have veggie and I think we should have carne asada. And Barnabas is thinking, Andrea is so good. She is thinking about everyone and wants everyone to have an option. And then maybe Matt Van Gant, our executive pastor, he pipes up and he says, you know what, we've got to do all of it. We've got to do veggie, we've got to do carne asada, and we have to do chicken. And Barnabas is sitting there thinking, I really appreciate Matt covering all the bases. I'm going to tell him how much I appreciate him after this leadership team meeting. And then the question comes to Barnabas. Barnabas, what do you think we should have? And you know what he says? He says nothing. He doesn't say anything. Because Barnabas is the guy who is so busy in his mind, encouraging and supporting and appreciating our team, that when it comes time for him to answer, sometimes he doesn't have a lot to say. And you know how I know that? Because that's what I do. That is how my mind works as a phlegmatic, as a green. In most environments, I'm thinking about how I can encourage and support the people around me. And while I have very definite opinions about things, here's what you need to know. The primary goal of a green, of the green group, is to help support and encourage you toward your ideas. That is what we love to do more than anything else. But often I think that maybe my silence or maybe my inability to process things in the moment or to answer immediately, it's often taken as maybe apathy or not caring or not being able to keep up with what's going on. And that is why it is so easy. It's so easy to misunderstand and devalue the greens in your life. It's so easy to think that maybe they don't care or they don't have an opinion. And if that's what you think is true of them, then it is easy to move on without them. But again, what you need to know is that most of the time, greens have very strong thoughts and opinions about things, but they are happy to support and encourage you in yours first. And so what I want you to see today, don't devalue them for being slow to respond or act because their delay is an act of love in support of you. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me say it another way. The things that make green such amazing friends and partners and assistants and co-leaders or fill in the blank also contribute to them being overlooked, ignored, misunderstood, 
and devalued. And so I just want you to be aware of that this morning, all right? Well, there is one way that you can turn a green red. You know what I mean by that? Where you will see them get angry. There is one way that a green will turn red, and I want to show you what that looks like this morning. Look what happens between Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the other towns where we preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed. For Cyprus. Okay, so here's what happened. Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas had been in Antioch for about a year, and one day Paul says, you know what, B, we have been here a long time. We need to go back, and we need to check on all the other churches that we started. We need to see how they're doing. What do you think? Should we go? And Barnabas is like, yes, let's go. He sees this as an opportunity to support and encourage But this time, he is not supporting and encouraging Paul. He wants to support and encourage another guy named John Mark. And John Mark was just a kid. He was a kid that Barnabas had been mentoring and kind of pouring into. And he thought the very best way to encourage him was to say, why don't you come with us while we do this thing? And the minute that Barnabas brings up John Mark's name, Paul gets ugly. And he says, no way, Uh uh-uh. There is absolutely no way we are bringing that kid because Paul didn't like him at all Uh, because they had tried taking him once before on a journey. And guess what? John Mark up and left. He He just quit when they were in Asia and he left and he went back home. Now we're not told why he left, but whatever the reason, Paul sees this as totally shameful, a shameful desertion. And so he begins to insult John Mark. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And you don't see this in the English, but in the Greek, this is what Paul is saying. He is saying, Barnabas, no way. We are not bringing that one. We are, there's no way we're bringing that one. And Paul refuses to say his name. And what did we say earlier about names? Names were your title. And so Paul is being derogatory here. He's like, I'm not even giving him a name. He's a coward. He is nobody to me. And it was a terrible insult. Well, if you want to see a green turn red, insult someone that they believe in, care about, or love, and they will turn at the drop of a dime. I will never forget one Christmas Eve a few years ago. We were, it was after our very last service on Christmas Eve. We were all kind of cleaning up and getting ready to go home. Two of my colleagues came into the lobby, and they're like, Jody, we have a problem. There are two people, a husband and wife, down front in the auditorium, and they're fighting. They're in, a, they're in a screaming match with each other. We can't get them out. We, can you please come help us? We don't know what to do. And so the three of us walked into the auditorium, and you could hear them all the way from the back. It was bad. It was so heated. And I could tell that all three of us, as we kept walking closer, we were like comrades in arms walking into a battle zone. We were just linking arms in our, in our minds as we got closer and closer to this argument. And when we got up to the front, we kept a bit of distance. And I stepped forward and I said, "Uh, hey, you guys, is everything all right? Understatement of the year, right? Can we help you? 
and the woman glared at me and she said, oh, look at you pretending to care. Okay, it's Christmas Eve. Something must be going on. It's okay, I'm gonna put the comment aside. But at the same time, their kids were over in our children's ministry. We had people who were, had been here all day. They needed to go home. So again, I put the comment aside and I said, you know, hey, what can we do to help? Can we go get your kids for you while you guys finish up here? And she threw a look at me that was so nasty. And she said, I know your type. You pretend to care and then you throw us out. You and your little friends. Okay. I am not so understanding now. It is like game on, lady. And with one move, I soccer mom armed my colleagues behind me. And I stepped forward and I said, ma'am, you need to leave right now. And if you choose not to, to leave, I will call the police. But for the time being, I'm gonna ask one of our security people to step in and escort you to the children's department where you can pick up your kids and leave campus immediately. Well, she looked at me a little stunned, but she didn't bat an eye, and she and her husband left the building, still fighting, okay? But when I turned to look at my coworkers, they were wide-eyed, they were wide-eyed. And they said, we have never seen you like that before. We were actually scared of you. <laughs> now listen, Crosswinds, you know me. I wasn't rude, but I was firm and I was fiery. I was decisive and clear. And I led the heck out of that situation on behalf of my colleagues. Because say what you want about me. I don't really care. But insult or come after my people, my tribe, my family, my friends, my church, and this girl who does not like conflict will send you a written invitation because I am a fierce defender of the people I love. I am Captain America when it defend, comes to defending the people that I love. I could do it all day long, all day long. I'm a fierce defender of the people that I love, and so was Barnabas. When Paul insults John Mark, the text says that they had a sharp disagreement well, that's actually putting it mildly. The text, the language there says that they were in the middle of violent convulsions. And so these guys were actually all up in each other's business. And it was so bad that they just had to end the conversation and they had to part ways. So let me ask you a question as you hear this. Who was right in this situation? Who was right? Who did the right thing? Well, Paul wanted to do the right thing by going to check on all of his people that had started churches. And I think Barnabas was right because he wanted to give John Mark the opportunity for a do-over. I guess you could say they were both right. But I do think that one of them was more right than the other, and I'll tell you why. Because the green group, the encouragers and the supporters, they take time to see what other people don't. And because they take time to invest in other people, they see potential and they see what people can be. They know things about people. They know things about you that you don't even know about yourself yet. And their greatest joy will be to bring that thing out in you and walk alongside you until you believe it, until you see it in yourself too. And that's why I think Barnabas was right. He was right not to give up on John Mark. He saw something in him. He saw potential, and he's like, I will be relentless 
and walking alongside you until you believe this about yourself. I, um, I find it totally fascinating that later in life, when Paul was actually in prison, he was waiting to be executed. He asked his friend Timothy, he said, bring John Mark to me. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You see, eventually Paul himself went from insulting John Mark to embracing him. And John Mark went from being a deserter to being an amazing ministry leader. Why? Because he had a Barnabas, right? He had a green. He had a phlegmatic who took his time with him and didn't quickly toss him aside. He gave him the opportunity to redeem himself. Now, I want to ask you, how many times have you needed someone to do that for you? And if it's happened for you, how did it feel when someone did? You know why I think that Paul should have known better than to cast John Mark aside? Because at one time, Paul was the recipient of a second chance himself. And you know who gave it to him? Barnabas. Barnabas. You see, in Paul's former life, he had a terrible reputation, you guys. He was a murderer. He murdered Christians. And so when Paul converted to Christianity, the Christians were terrified of him. But Barnabas saw the potential in Paul. And he is the one who took Paul to the apostles. And he said, you know what, you guys? With all the things that you're trying to do right now, you need this guy. He is a changed man. He's an amazing preacher for the gospel. And if you want to succeed at what you are doing, you cannot cast him aside. And because of Barnabas' testimony about Paul, Paul was ushered in as one of the greatest missionaries of all time because he had a second chance guy, and it was Barnabas. Crosswinds, we all need phlegmatics, right, in our lives because Every single one of us at one time or another has been like John Mark. We have all needed a second chance guy or girl. Someone to challenge us, to be godly, to love us and lift us up when we fall. People who see our potential and will work tirelessly to bring it about. People who will stop at nothing. Who will be ruthless in a good way to help you become the person that God intended you to be. And what you need to know is they are not shiny and loud. They are diamonds in the rough. And if you devalue them by not paying attention to the gifts that they have for you, it could be very, very costly. And so I want to give you just three things really quickly that you can do to value the greens in your life, okay? Here is the first one. Be patient. Be patient. Give them time and space to process information, okay? Remember, one of their greatest joys is to support others in achieving their goals and ideas. And because of that, it might take them a little bit of time to process and to find out the figure out the language to put forth their own thoughts and ideas, okay? But my encouragement to you is to not grow impatient and skip over them, okay? Be patient and wait for them. The second thing that you can do is ask and listen. Um, if you know that somebody in your midst is holding back because they're acting in support of you or in support of someone else, 
you can still ask them what they think and then listen to what they have to say. The green group might not talk a lot in large groups, but when they do, their insights are usually deep and profound, okay? And many times they see things that other people don't because they sit back and pay attention and they listen. And so my advice is, you guys, don't read their silence as apathy. And don't let their silence annoy you, okay? Proactively seek out the greens in your life. Ask them what they think and then value them by listening, okay? Value them for what they bring to the table and not just for what they do for you, right? Here's the last thing, and I think it is almost the most important one. Accept enthusiastically, decline gently. Let me tell you, if you have a green in your corner, you have got a cheerleader for life. Accept their support and thank them for it, okay? Thank them for it, but here's the thing. Sometimes we greens can be overhelpers. You guys who are greens, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we can be overhelpers. We can definitely overhelp and oversupport. And the truth is, that can be really annoying sometimes, can it? If someone's always asking you if you need, you need help with that, how can I support you in that? You might start thinking, oh my gosh, they think I'm incompetent. It's getting a little bit annoying. And our tendency is to get frustrated with overhelpers and maybe shun them, even get angry even work harder to prove how capable we are. But please know that if you shun the help of a green in a rude or defensive way, it is soul crushing for us. It's soul crushing, okay? Because it's like you're rejecting the core of who we are. And so if you have an overhelper, a supporter, encourager in your life, remember chances are they are working so hard to bring something out in you and this is their love language to you, okay? So thank them for what is useful, but decline or just kind of let them down gently when you need to. I love you. Thank you so much for what you bring to my life, but I think I'm good right now, okay? So there you have it, crosswinds. There you have it, the greens, okay? Um, I hope this helps you kind of open your eyes to the greens who are in your life, to the people who want to do nothing more than love you and encourage you and support you. And as a green, my deepest prayer is that this message was encouraging and helpful and that I was able to support you as you value the green group in your life. Let's stand together and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for just for the examples in the Bible of um, how you've made us. I love this series because so often just the struggles that we go through, they have to do with how we interact with other people. And God, I love that you have given us examples of how to do that. And so I ask that you would just help us today open our eyes, open our eyes to the diamonds in the rough around us who seek and strive to help us become the people that you have intended us to be. We thank you so much for this, this church and for this season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming, everyone. We'll see you next week.